So did you have a good Christmas? Anyone have any good food to eat? Uh, maybe some ham and Christmas cookies? Were your hearts warm by getting together with family members? Seeing them once again, catching up how they're doing? Or how about this? Did you see any faces light up opening their presents? Or, or maybe that was your face. One of my favorite Christmas memories uh, this year was over someone's face lighting up. Uh, not this young gal, but I love this. But my nephew named Phineas. Uh, Phineas is in grade school, and he wanted a phone. And as he opened his first iPhone 12, they splurged, <laughs> he started crying. A young man started crying as he gets what to him is exactly what he wanted. And those are the responses we want, right? Those maybe even the responses we expect when we have searched and hunted for exactly the right gift. And then again, they light up and they say, wow. And maybe they give you a hug. In fact, we live in a world of expected responses. When watching a big game, an expected response when your team wins is there can be yelling in the room. Not often can you yell in the house, but at least in the household I grew up in, you could yell for a good sack and a good touchdown. There we go. We train our children to give the right response. If you're opening gifts and you're with family, you remind them. Go and tell them, thank you. Give them a hug. There are the expected responses to good news, and there's also expected response to bad news. When someone loses a job or loses some income, we don't expect them to be happy. We expect them to be a little bit down. When someone has a loved one who is sick or possibly is called to heaven, we don't expect anything but, again, some sadness and some grief. We live in a world of expected responses, and some of them are pre-programmed in us. And I bring up the topic of expected responses because... We consider the message of Christmas. Jesus, the Savior, is born. Jesus promises to forgive any and all sin, to do what we couldn't do, which is save the world. And the expected response to this, the right response to this, it's our first takeaway, is celebration. If you see the Christmas message for what it is, you should see how it eclipses every good gift in your life. The Christmas message is better than your children. It is better than the car you drive. It is better than the present you opened and even that iPhone 12. The, the, the Christmas message is a Messiah is here. And he changes everything. And so the proper response is to be geeked out and say, there is nothing better. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. This is amazing. But what's really interesting to me is that that's not how everyone responds. That we can go out and we can share, Jesus loves you, he's forgiven you, he's overcome. We can go out and say, you have a place forever in heaven, don't worry about the trouble of this world. You have a place sealed for you, an inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade, kept for you by God. And instead of celebration, there can be different responses. Well, that works for you, but I don't know about for me. There can be overt hostility. You're trying to tell me to 
to do something? Trying to tell me there's a God and Lord over my life? And we see an unexpected response in King Herod. Herod learns that a king of Messiah has been born in his very own country and could have rejoiced. He was ruling during the time of the Messiah. And yet, what does Herod do? Herod says, He issued orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and all the surrounding country from two years old and under. This was in keeping with the exact time he had learned from the wise men. There was no celebration. There was anger. There was jealousy. A competitive spirit that led him to do something we know as called the Massacre of the Innocents, where uh, the children had to flee because Herod was out to get them, and those were the orders. A very dire time in world history, in any place. Reminds me of Egypt and when they tried to eliminate the, the Hebrew babies. And we look at this response, and, and maybe we've considered the response of others, and, and we're like, why? Why can I see when they don't see? What's missing? As I was trying to combine some scriptures, I came across one scripture that I think gives us an understanding why some people respond the way that they do. Are you ready for it? It's from 2 Corinthians. It says this, that for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved. This is talking about mission work. If you go and share Jesus to those who are saved, you're a very pleasant aroma. Yes, I want to hear what you have to say, Jesus the Savior. But it goes on. And to those who are perishing, to, to the one we are an aroma that brings death, and to the other, the aroma that brings life. So to those who are perishing, to those who have rejected the Lord, it actually makes them mad. It actually is an unpleasant aroma. And what is this talking about? Well, it kind of reminded me of my expectations of mission work, and I was taught very well, I think. And one of the teachings was this, that a mission doesn't always succeed. A mission doesn't always succeed, and it doesn't always mean it was the pastor or the church's fault. A mission doesn't always succeed because to some, we are the aroma of death. To some, they don't want this word. They don't want forgiveness by grace. And I think there are a couple reasons why people reject. And this is just conjecture. Number one, I think it upsets the, the prior way of salvation. See, most people think they have to be good enough and save themselves. So by telling them there's a Savior... They have to admit their need. They would have to admit that they too are a sinner in need of forgiveness, and that's very hard for people. But another reason that I think this is hard is because if you do have a Lord and Savior, it means you have an authority over your life. You have someone with the right and the power to direct your steps and tell you not what you want to hear, but tell you what actually you should be doing. And many people say, I don't want that. And so we're going to get into a, a scripture that I hope through the lens of the Spirit will give you eyes to see what we should be like and how we should respond. 
But I got to tell you, what we're, what we're considering today, hot off the heels of Christmas, this is like the mature message. So, like, this is leg day at the gym. It, it's, it's when we're, like, striving after, like, it's not step A, B, or C. It's like D or F, right? It's, it's way down the line. This is a mature message. It's a message that could come after you've dwelt deeply in the love of God. Can you only understand where he's calling us? Only after you've dwelt deeply in the love of God can you understand and accept his ways and what he has for us here. So we're going to consider it. This is uh, when Jesus was sending out his disciples uh, from Matthew chapter 10. And in honor of the word of God, I'm just going to invite you to please stand. So Jesus said this, striking words, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. These are words that we get to dig into, and maybe some of you are already scratching your head. Don't worry, we'll talk about these words. Uh, But can you just say out louder to someone next to you, by the Spirit, I'm all in. By the Spirit, I'm all in. Please be seated. So we live in a world of kinda. And I wanted to consider with you some of the things that you can kinda do. When it comes to online shopping, you can kinda online shop while kind of carrying on a conversation, while kind of watching TV, while kind of cooking, right? That's the world we live in. When it comes to cleaning, a parent understands when a child has kind of cleaned. Because you can kind of clean your room. Yes, I saw you move the sheets and the bedspread. You kind of made your bed. All right. You can kind of study if you're in school. You can kind of look over the notes, the lesson points, and kind of be prepared for the test. We live in a world of kind of. But there are other categories of life where kind of is not an option. For example, you can't kind of skydive. (laughs) You either jumped out of the plane or you didn't, right? You can't kind of move, right? You either bought a new house and are in that new house or you're in the old one. You can't kind of have a child. (laughs) There are no kind of (laughs) babies. Either had one or you didn't. And the reason I bring up kind of versus all in is because today we're talking about what it is to follow Jesus. Today the lesson is talking to his disciples. He's sending them out. And what is it to follow? And what I find is that it is an all in skydiving type of proposition. That kind of Christians need not apply. For example, Jesus was famous for describing the law this way. When asked what the law said that God wanted for us, it is this. Love the Lord your God with, can you say that word, with? And all is all in. 
He's not asking for some of your heart. He's asking for all of your heart. He's not asking for some of your soul or some of your mind. He's asking for all of it. And that's different than kind of. And so one of our first takeaways is this, that to follow Jesus means to be all in. And the reason I bring this up is because it's the only way I can understand the words that we just read. Were any of you startled by the words that Jesus spoke? Right? Um, look at the unsettling words he, he just said and, and we considered. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. <laughs> I came to turn a man against his father. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, I was thinking if Jesus was politically campaigning, he would be so toast, right? They would just share this on every ad ever made. Jesus said this. Come on, guys. Are you going to vote for Jesus? Right? But they would be doing what is typical of political campaigns, which is taking something out of the broader context of the fuller message of Jesus. So let's, let's just look at this a little bit. Uh, when it comes to peace, does God want us to be peacemakers? Well, absolutely. <laughs> he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Do that. Pursue that. He said, forgive as the Lord forgave you, which is how you get to peace. He also said, don't get revenge. It is mine to avenge. Does he want peace? Yes, he does. Or what about the next one? I came to turn a man against his father. Does he want you to honor your parents? Of course. It's a, the fourth commandment. He, he wants you to love and respect, to obey those in authority. That includes your parents and all those in authority. When it comes to members of a family getting along, he wants us to provide and to keep peace among. So, so then... Why is he saying it this way? What he's using is called hyperbolic language. A hyperbole is to exaggerate something uh, for effect, for emphasis. It's the person who says, I'm so hungry I can eat a, a horse. Can't actually eat a horse, but you're really, really hungry. And so he's saying, when it comes to, to faith in me, all, all of what you should do is so far above this world, so far above even your family, in what it is to follow me. And what Jesus knows is this. Is that to be all in for Jesus. Means at one time or another you will have to embrace conflict. It's not that you're searching for it. It's not that you delight in conflict. Beware of that. It's that it's going to happen if you're doing the Christian thing correctly. Let me give you a story to support my case. In Crete, Illinois, anyone know Crete? There are two Wells churches. And you might wonder why. Why are there two Wells churches? It's because of this. One of them was not always Wisconsin Synod. One of them used to be Missouri Synod. And yet, back in the day, when Missouri was teaching that there wasn't a six-day creation and not all of the word of God was inspired, um, it led to a break. It led to a split. And unfortunately, that split has continued, and Wisconsin Synod and Missouri Synod are no longer together, and, and the, the one church changed from Missouri to Wells, and, and so that's why there are two Wisconsin Synod churches there, because they used to be, you know, kind of separate, but now, you know, one went for a different thing, and 
And I am a generation removed from that split. But I have been to pastors' conferences where I've looked at other pastors who had tears in their eyes because they remember how brutal the split was. I remember listening to a pastor, Bill Godfrey, kind of tear up as he remembered classmates that he could no longer be in fellowship with. And, and they told stories about families who were split because of the doctrinal issues that were going on. And, and then it, I was reading some commentary. It seems like no clash is as bitter as a theological one because we take God seriously. But division happens, doesn't it? It's hard. Well, that's a generation ago. What about today? Is it true that you will embrace and have conflict if you're all in for Jesus? Well, consider just some of the things that Jesus taught that we believe because he taught them. Jesus taught that the whole of his word is inspired and God's word to you. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. All scriptures God breathed. And if you go out today and you say, there is absolute truth. Not every source is as true as another. Are you going to get some conflict? I think so. What about morality? Does Jesus teach an absolute morality on certain issues? Yes, he does. Jesus confirmed what it said in Genesis, that a man would leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and become one flesh. And so in the area of sexuality, he has still taught a very clear path for it. But if you take a stand, do you think you might experience some conflict over what Jesus said? Finally, what about this? Jesus said that he was the only way to heaven. And that's not what a church body taught. That, that, that's not just Wells or Lutherans. He actually said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no one gets to the Father except through me. Now, if you go out into the world and say he is the exclusive way to heaven, might this bring about some conflict? Yeah. Yeah. It will. And because we know this, what are we tempted to do? Do you know what I think we're tempted to do? We're tempted to have kind of Christianity. Kind of Christianity that believes the parts of the Bible that I agree with. Kind of Christianity likes the morality of Jesus along, as long as it's easy for me. Kind of Christianity that tolerates others and makes sure not to ruffle feathers or make any waves with the message. Let's just kind of teach what he taught. But you know another option? I think that some people are like Herod. Herod knew that he couldn't be king and have another king. And some people are saying, I know exactly what God wants. He wants everything, doesn't he? And I don't. To be all in, it is scary and intimidating, and I don't. To which he would say, but whoever finds his life will lose it. But if you're willing to lose everyone, if you're willing to lose everything, if you're losing, willing to lose every way, it is then that you will find it. 
Is this a mature word among the saints? Is it challenging? It challenges my own heart. Because how many of us can really say, yeah, I've been all in all the time. How many of us can always say, I've been completely sold out every day, every minute for the cause of Jesus, and it doesn't matter what comes. I'm it, the follower. You can't. So how do we get there more? We look to Jesus. And we see what he did. Because he doesn't just kind of love us. He so loves us. And at Christmas, he wasn't kind of born. And on Good Friday, he didn't kind of die. And on Easter, he didn't kind of rise. He has done all of those things so that I could tell you your sins, they're not kind of removed. They are fully and freely and once for all removed, and you are at peace with a holy God. He loves you as far as the heaven is above the earth. He loves you more than you know right now. And maybe the reason he wants an all-in expression of love is because that is what he's done, whether you respond that way or not. He's always been all-in for you. You are the joy set before him as he endured the cross. He loves you. In fact, something I love about our Savior God is that he never asks us to go further than how how far he's already gone for us. You know, one Bible commentator said this, of no one is so much expected as of Jesus. Because as you're hearing the all-in proposition, you were saying, man, this is so hard, but Jesus says, I know. And I did first and foremost for you. But maybe... Maybe even what God wants for us is part of his grace to us. Maybe his ways are even better than our ways. And so I wanted to talk to you just a little bit about the benefits of being all in. The benefits of being all in. You know, I was struck by an interview that went on between two famed pastors, one Andy Stanley and his father Charles Stanley. Now, Charles Stanley is 88 years old. He's been uh, serving the Lord as a pastor for 50 years. And and they were recounting some of the principles that he learned along the way, following Christ and preaching Christ. And his son Andy remembers this one time where it was um, really kind of a a hard time for, for Charles, his father. He was on the ballot to be the president for the Southern Baptist Convention. And not everyone wanted him to be the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and, and because it was a time of politicking, people were tearing him down, giving a laundry list of reasons why he should not be the president. Well, this made um, news in Atlanta, and it was actually broadcast on TV. And an interviewer asked him, do you want to become the president? And he said something striking. He said, if I win, I win. And if I lose, I win. Because mine is to obey God and leave all the consequences to him. I want to give you that phrase. To obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Now, you do not say that unless you are all in. (laughs) 
You do not say that and, and live that way unless you're all in. And the setup to the story is Andy, his son, still remembers the peace and the calm that he had. After being berated up and down why he shouldn't be the president, how calmly he said, I just need to obey God and leave the consequences. He did become the president, by the way. But what did I take away from that? My takeaway is this, that to be all in for God is to have greater peace over circumstances and people. See, he didn't care what the people were saying or what was going to happen. All he had to do was follow God and let him control the outcome. And I think of the other way of living, of trying to put people or circumstances before the will of my God. And I don't know about you, but when I do that, it's a complete train wreck. Have you ever tried to get a situation go down exactly how you wanted it to go down? And God laughs in heaven because he's in control? Or maybe you've wondered how to approach a, a certain topic with a certain person, and you're trying to say the right thing in the right way at the right time, and, and I'm all for tact, but... Whereas if you just obey God and leave to him the consequences, <laughs> he'll sort it out. Yes, maybe we can have better peace if we take this approach. But there's another thing about being all in that I think is helpful. And to set this up, I wanted to talk about the way people are. <laughs> Do anyone at Christmas wrestle with fairness of gift giving? This is especially for siblings. Have you ever wrestled with fairness over gift giving? And, um, and maybe that is, you know, a younger sibling, you know, looking what an older sibling got. Maybe parents decide, you know, we have this amount of money and you can choose how we spend it, but we're all going to give you the same. Um, maybe at office, you know, you, you, you have an amount that you're going to spend equally among your associates. I always like Sheldon when it comes to gift giving. Um, he said, you haven't given me a gift, you've given me an obligation, because what does he sense? He says, I'm in your debt. <laughs> What'd you pay on that? Because that's what I want to spend on you. And uh, then we'll be equal. And, and the reason, you know, we, we struggle with fairness is because if you've be ever been in a family where it wasn't fair, you remember. Uh, for example, um, when, when certain big items are given, younger and older, uh, they remember. If the oldest had to wait to a certain age to get a cell phone, and then the younger gets it sooner, the older will say, unfair. Right? Or I remember um, growing up in the Bloomer household, it was like every eighth grade year, grandma would get a TV for my brother and then my sister and then. Nope. <laughs> and she was a great grandmother. But you remember what had gone on. And I bring this up to say that, that people are inconsistent, even the best, that people forget. And, and people will at times be then unfair, and it's really hard to get it all right all the time. I bring this up because today God has challenged us. Love God more than your child. Love God more than your parents. Love God above everything else. And when given that passage, he actually drew it from the prophet Micah. 
And Micah, before, you know, putting God above everyone else, said this, that when it comes to everyone else, don't trust them. Put no confidence in a friend. Even the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. And why does he say that? It seems kind of down. But he says it because of the reality of what people are. They're inconsistent. They are unfaithful. They will let you down. And so why is the all-in proposition actually a benefit? Because to be all-in is to rely on the only one as trustworthy. To be all-in towards God is to know that when everyone else leaves you, he never will. When others lie and manipulate, his word is still true. When others fail, he doesn't know how. That is the goodness of our God. So be all in. Be all in and know the peace of leaving the circumstances in his hands. Be all in and know the the trust you can have when you put the matters in the Almighty's hands. But friends, don't be surprised when others are not all in. Don't be surprised of a world raging against the child who was born. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, this is a challenging word. None of us claim to be completely sold out for your cause. But we'd like to be. (laughs) Could you pour out your spirit to empower us? To just simply respond to what you did for us. To respond in love, to trust you with our lives. And Lord, we pray that you would soften the hearts of many people that they would too come to see your proposition, your love. It is worth it. It is the best thing in the world. So bless the preaching of your word across the world. In Jesus' name, amen.